Welcome to a brand spanking new episode of Who Do You Think You Are? An exploration into how our thoughts, beliefs, and feelings create our reality. My name is Lastia Kahoot, and I'm your host. I'm joined by my co-host on this show and in life, Glenn Sheridan. Every episode, we're joined by a special guest who inspires us to consider not only what we think, but how we think, and how that thinking impacts our life experience. It's time to get this conscious conversation started as we ask today's guest, who do you think you are? Hello, hello, everyone, and welcome to a brand spanking new episode of Who Do You Think You Are? My name is Lassia. I am your host. And once again, as always, on this show and in life, here is my co-host, Mr. Glenn Sheridan. Hello, everyone. And today we have another super special guest that we're really excited to talk to. And just before we get into the conversation and introductions, I would just like to say thank you, thank you, thank you. We are so grateful to be coming to you from Saanichton on Vancouver Island on the unceded lands of the Wasanich people where we live, work, breathe and play and are so eternally grateful to be able to do so. So without further ado, here's a little bit about our guest today. This individual considers herself a creative problem solver, and she is an award-winning multimedia professional. Her love of the outdoors and concern about environmental degradation and climate change have set her on a path to create healthier, happier communities rooted in regenerative decision-making. She is also an award-winning professional photographer. She is the organizer of some of Canada's largest Zero Waste Earth Week festivals. She is also the founder of the free community solutions hub, creativelyunited.org, and producer and host of a po of popular climate and arts webinar series. She is a lifelong resident of Vancouver Island, Canada, absolutely loves nature, part of which I think was the inspiration for her most recent TEDx talk at TEDx Surrey in February, which uh, the talk was called How to Heal the Future, Not Steal the Future. Um, she has also been published in, published in numerous magazines and books, written scripts, created 58 Solutions for Lighter and Healthier Living Guide, which is available on creativelyunited.org, as well as produced three short films, The Harmless Home, A Building Revolution, Awaken, A Forest Ballet, and Trees Matter. This is just a little bit about who it is that we're going to be speaking to today. I know that there is so much more to unpack, so much more to discover. So as we begin the show, as always, I would love to ask our guest today, Francis Littman, tell us, who do you think you are? I ask myself that all the time. <laughs> <laughs> who do I think I am? And how did I think I was going to do this? I'm, I'm actually a very passionate, as a lot of people have described me that way, positive possibilitist. Now, I don't even know if that word exists, but when you're a possibilitist, of course, everything exists. So <laughs> that's my word. I'm a passionate, positive possibilitist. And what that means is that I truly believe anything is possible and that we are creating our future in the present of every moment of every day, like right now. So what do we want? And if that's, uh, we're not having what we want, then we better start working on what we do want and focus on that because that's, that's what keeps me sane, especially in these crazy times is, just telling myself that 
anything is possible. And since we are all creators, I, I love to think that um, we're going to land on this and start collectively as one united consciousness, which is what I'm really um, guides me is to just focus on what we want versus what we don't want that you know the, the the classic law of attraction um sort of mandate and i'm a lover of beauty and especially natural beauty so the beauty of our forests and our oceans and having a lifetime of looking at things through a variety of lenses being a professional photographer i've 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 seen things through you know, micro lenses where you're right into the stamina of a flower, like you can feel it almost tickling your nose when you're taking that photo to using telephoto lenses that bring that distant view right into your face and help you see all the depths and layers and the beauty of, of, of just creation. So as a photographer, I've, I've really, um, it's helped me connect the dots and it really, um, stirred my soul to action so and i'm one of these people too as a child i used to watch david suzuki uh, feature of things and i remember thinking at age four i hope the adults are going to do something about saving our planet so because back in you know the 60s david suzuki was ringing the alarm bells about climate back then and and showing what we could lose if we didn't do something and i remember thinking and he was talking about 2020 and i remember thinking that was way in the future so but i sure hope the adults are doing something and i was that kid who always had her hand up in school mm. always i was just needed to have my questions answered there was just so many questions so that curiosity is 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 something that has always driven me but there's always been this latent creativity that I never knew I had until I picked up a camera in my adulthood and as a result my world just came to life and through that camera I like I said I've really seen how interconnected everything is and i've also seen how the resource extraction and destruction of our natural world is directly related to social inequity and injustice and as a child who grew up in the 60s who saw the vietnam war on tv because we were one of the first generations to really start getting into that tv land um and seeing kids you know my age fleeing in terror from the napalm bombs it etched in my soul and we were like we always had time magazine in the house which was a mm -hmm. photo journalistic type of magazine and seeing the pictures of war and and desecration and suffering just made me realize that there's got to be there's got to be a better way because my world wasn't like that. How come their world was like that? And how do we stop having that kind of world? So I'm a truth seeker. And that's where asking a lot of questions and having a lot of hard knocks in my upbringing helped me really see the world maybe in a more, I don't know, just interconnected 
collective consciousness kind of way, although at that age, I didn't really realize that I was seeing the world maybe differently than some of my classmates, but I was always that person, and I still am, mm -hmm. um, who really is really, I think, quite a deep thinker. Like I don't watch, I don't spend a lot of time on TV, although I love movies. And of course I love anything visual, but I spend a lot of time thinking. Maybe I'm in my head too much, but, and then I'm creating. So it's, it's the creative process that uh, it's like anyone who's tapped into their creativity knows that once a creator, always a creator, like you cannot stop creativity once you've got it flowing and I think that's just our existence and in fact oh I today I don't know if anyone gets the Abraham Hicks quotes but there's a beautiful simple little quote from Abraham Hicks today that basically that's law of attraction that is saying that you you can't stop creation so what are you creating mm -hmm. so I probably talked too long now not at all. There's like, I don't know, 20 different topics that we could hit on at any given moment right there. Like, you know, curiosity, interconnectivity, the creative process, creativity, truth, asking questions, macro versus micro. And, and I think what really comes to mind for me is the fact that because you are a photographer and a filmmaker and you literally use different lenses, um through which you view the world i would love to talk about the the idea the concept of the lens you know like as something that is a physical thing that we can put in front of our faces and then also as a psychological emotional metaphysical you know quantum thing which is you know the lens that we see ourselves that we see our world through based on what we're thinking what we're believing what we're feeling and and so it to me what i'm hearing is from a very from a very young age i mean you talked about how when you were four you were you know sort of like hoping and thinking boy i sure hope that the adults do something to help say fix the world change the world kind of thing and asking you know questions and wondering about stuff like you know this is going on in another part of the world how can that be happening when over here in my world it's a completely different experience um and that was way back then never mind you know a lifetime of experiences to say even what's happened in our own country in our own province in our own area just in the last couple of years um during the covid unfoldment and response and and um government and lots of different ways of perceiving what has happened with that entire unfoldment and that response and then the seeming global pivot about a month ago from COVID to Ukraine and Russia and what's happening there and um, and how ideals like freedom um, change and shift depending on who it is that's you know talking about it how it is that it's being interpreted um, how it is that it's being fought for questioned um, brought to light so I would love to talk about lenses because that just seems like such an amazing direction to go in because you are a photographer because you are a filmmaker and because you are a self-avowed truth seeker and someone who is just continually questioning and and not just questioning but you're like you're stepping into action 
all the time in an effort to make the world a better place, in an effort to ensure that old growth forests and the beauty and power and magnificence of nature is not only kept intact, but is celebrated and honored and revered. So you wanna jump in on, on any of that and sort of talk about anything that comes to mind? Sure, um, well, I my career started quite young in a daily newspaper. Uh, the Times Colonist. It was formerly known as The Colonist when, when I started there and then be merged into two papers. So, you know, I was very fortunate as a young person because I started when I was 16. That was my, my big, it wasn't my first job, but it was my first major job. And <clears throat> I witnessed the end of an era because that it was like, the old was going out with the old teletypes and the print setters and, and a lot of people were losing their jobs and I was very fortunate I happened to be able to keep my job and I started and, I, and I'm going back to this because it is it is all very relevant it really shaped my perception of the world and my decision to get into photography and <clears throat> I I started there basically as a postal clerk, but an opening came open for a junior reporter about two years after I started. And I, it initially was like as a post clerk in my um, sort of an office clerk and in my in my my weekend job while I was in high school. And then when I graduated, I was out on my own. I didn't have a family of my own to support me. I had been brought up in a foster situation and I really needed to have work. And fortunately, um, I, I just put all my energy into just wanting, needing um, to have a job and to work in that newspaper. It's all I knew. And, and it, it, they had become my family. And uh, so at the time these mergers were happening, <clears throat> I was next on the chopping block, I found out. But fortunately, because I had started in high school, I had this sonority. But I saw the difference, you know, from an old world going out of teletype and, you know, where photos would, <clears throat> excuse me, come in basically by like a very fancy fax machine. Mm. And I remember seeing when John Lennon was shot, and I became an editorial assistant and a junior reporter over time. And that's how I, I had access to this newsroom and to the images and then the photographers who, you know, I started to hang out with, they, they became my tribe. I was hanging out in the, in the dark rooms and learning dark room work and just, you know, with this dream that maybe someday I'd become a photographer, but didn't know if that would ever happen. But in the meantime, I was, I was, I was a rewrite person and learning everything I could about, about sort of journalism. And, um, yeah, and seeing how much news and how many photos would come in from all these news stories, because this was the original newswire before the internet. Mm -hmm. So you've got to understand that newspapers were one of the first to have uh, internet through the Canadian newswires or the Canadian press and all the different newswires, Associated Press. So when we went from old typewriters, which I witnessed, you know, like they could smoke and drink and, and be at the typewriters, just like the movies, yeah. um, you know, and within a year to see that go into computers and everyone's struggling to learn this. And then all this information just coming at people and they're the editors choosing what goes into a paper. 
and the photographers just you know going out and taking all these photos and stories and seeing how the whole process came together i realized how much news we don't see mm. and that was absolutely fascinating because i had to i had to be on the computer too for my stories and and i would um <laughs> i would cruise you know through the news wires and look at what was happening in the world and I remember many times going to the news editor and going, oh my gosh, do you know about this and this? And how come, are we going to do a story? No, we don't have room for it. And it'd be like, and how the news that we received was so guided by how many ads were in a paper, how much space they could get in, how much they could publish. And then that news, just like we see today, big story one day, gone the next, time for a new one, keeping public entertained. Um, back in the day, I have to say, those editors were amazing at picking real good news stories, but there was so much. And so that's when I realized a photo was worth a thousand words. So <clears throat> I wanted to, 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 to show the world through photography be, and find that world through photography. And I was actually, and I still am, <laughs> I shouldn't say I was. I, I mean, at that age, I was a really nervous, um, I was sort of a cocky kid because I, I was filled with this possible, everything is possible. So that drove me, but I was very much an introvert. So the photography was wonderful because I could hide behind the camera and record what was happening in front of me. And I think a lot of people feel that way, even with their phones. It's a, it's a, it's, 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 it's a barrier to, um, really feeling exposed but it allows people the opportunity to experience the world and that's what I think photography really does it kind of gives you a shield of sorts even if it's your phone and and allows you to experience the world feeling a little safer somehow with a device or lenses and and with the lenses I could really choose the world I wanted to see mm -hmm. I chose to see the beauty really chose to delve into the beauty and that was in everyone and everything and as as things would turn out the thing that absolutely scared me the most to photograph was people but that's became my whole career was basically photographing people and nature and and any type of nature photography became my secondary um when i had time hobby it wasn't i didn't do nature or anything like that for money i did it for i did it just for myself so people became my specialty and and i would see the beauty in everybody and everything and try to pull that out even if people couldn't see it in themselves wow i can totally speak to a whole bunch of stuff there but i see glenn smiling and i'm thinking that maybe you want to jump in no <laughs> Are you unmuting or no? I'll unmute to say, go ahead. <laughs> okay. All right. Well, so the, again, a few things that, that came out there for me and just this sort of the idea of, of the camera or the phone or device or something like that as a shield. Um, it, it reminds me, I don't know if it's going to connect for, for listeners or for you guys, but it reminds me of a saying, um, dance like no one's watching. 
And, and when I first heard that, um, or have heard it, had heard it in the past, and I thought, oh yeah, like just like dance with abandon and, and like you're by yourself and whatever, um, that's great. But then my teacher, you know, said, well, why do you, why do you, why would you only feel like that when you're by yourself? Like if you're being true to yourself and you're showing up authentically, then it would stand to reason that you should be able to dance like, like, you know, your true self, whether someone's watching or not. So just, just be you you know, no matter what kind of thing. And, and I, and I mean, I do it too, but I feel like there's a lot of hiding going on. Um, and whether it's, you know, behind a camera, behind a screen, behind a phone, um, whether it's behind something that we do to occupy our time rather than like really sit with who we are and really feel who we are and allow that creativity that is unstoppable that you were talking about earlier to come through in a way that it can only express itself through us. I wonder what that hiding is about. Any thoughts? Well, yeah, I think it's about insecurity, not mm -hmm. feeling like we're like, I, like I can't tell you um, how many times I won awards or was celebrated during my career. And I had, I think what you would call imposter syndrome. Mm -hmm. I was quite convinced that, and it, I think a lot of it had to do with my upbringing and not having the support of uh, many people in my life saying good work or you know you're doing it and so when I achieved these things it was an inner thrill but it was like a, oh my gosh if they only knew <laughs> <laughs> and sort of that stigma that you know I grew up with as an adopted child and then an adopted child that ended up in foster care that you know oh well nobody you know you're not you're, you know you don't have what everyone else has like so you you're less worthy or something you know like that kind of um I remember people telling me like even as a child that oh you're adopted oh I would never adopt a child you know and and I remember just being so shocked by that because I felt quite special that I had been adopted mm -hmm. and it made me feel good that I was adopted not still sitting in some orphanage yeah so you know, I think those kind of old tapes play out in you. And it's taken most of my life to overcome those, those, that, that terror of feeling exposed. Mm. Yeah, that it's, it's, I mean, I asked that question also having an answer, you know, in my mind, because being immersed in consciousness and, and spiritual studies and working with people as a coach who, who helps people to shift and let go, you know, of the limiting thoughts, stories, and beliefs that keep them feeling stuck to, you know, reaching for and embracing the infinite creativity, the infinite resilience, the infinite, you know, love that they are at their core. That's what so many people are working on at any given moment, or that's what so many people are stuck in without even knowing that, that, you know, they are that way. And, and I just, I mean, you know, even though I do the work with other people, this work is always happening for me. Like it's ongoing all the time and, and imposter syndrome. I mean, the number of times that I have felt that, and just, you know, even in finishing the book that I just finished and submitted the manuscript to the publisher a couple of days ago, it took 12 years for that book to come to fruition because there were these limiting beliefs, you know, in me that said, you're not good enough, you're not smart enough, and you don't have what it takes to succeed. And then later on, more recently was, 
and no one wants to hear what you have to say. <laughs> so, you know, but to keep doing the work regardless, because I know, and even if it started out as an intellectual, you know, sort of aha, when I first stepped into um, the community that opened my eyes to there's only one thing going on, you know, call it energy, call it universe, call it creativity, God, source, light, love, whatever works for you. It's all energy. There's nothing that is not energy, which means that each and every one of us is that energy all the time. It's like, we don't start and stop. It's like flowing continuously and, and just expressing itself however it can through each and every one of us, through photography, through painting, through writing, through being an, you know, a parent, through just being, you know, a tree, a mountain, whatever. And we're all reflections of each other. And, and I think that, you know, at least for me, when, when I first learned that for me, it was incredibly empowering because it was like, Okay, so that means that no one else is controlling my mind. No one else is, you know, the boss of me, so to speak. I get to choose. You talked about choosing, you know, a few minutes ago. I get to choose how I see the world. I get to choose how I see myself. I get to choose. In fact, I'm always choosing. So wouldn't it be better to be aware of how and what I'm choosing and the kind of life I'm creating versus just going along and having things happen by chance or by default, according to things and beliefs and thoughts that I'm not even aware of. So, so, you know, that, that's sort of like, that's all part of it. And, and I guess, you know, the answer to my own question would be that the reason that we hide the reason that we feel comfortable with maybe you know something in our hands in front of us or whatever um so we don't feel completely exposed is um is because that's what we're used to that's what we're comfortable with even if it might not feel that great it's what we know and to venture out into the unknown to further expose ourselves to like you know even expose ourselves not to other people but expose ourselves to the truth of who we are that infinite creativity that is always in play like how do you even wrap your mind around that you know like it's infinite <laughs> no beginning yeah. no end always happening sometimes that can feel like it's just a little too heady you know and yeah I think the younger generation, and I don't know, correct me if I'm wrong, but boy, it seems like the generations that are, you know, behind, like coming up behind us here are getting this so much quicker. I just can't believe how many teens and 20 year olds, 30 year olds that I've met that I'm going, you already get this? It took me most of my life to get there. Like, what the heck? Were we just in some fog? It feels like, like, like we really were in some sort of weird fog and we've come out and going oh I figured it out and it's like yeah but they already got it <laughs> <laughs> and you know it's interesting that you say that because we have we have a 17 year old daughter she'll Milana she'll be 18 in July and she is graduating high school this year and she is um on her way back to Toronto uh because well she she's had one foot left in Toronto since we moved here five and a half years ago and so she's always been you know on her way back there she is so excited and so looking forward to moving on to the next chapter of her life of going to college 
being back in Toronto with some of her friends from um, Montessori that she grew up with there and being reconnected with our very large community of 30 plus years there for both Glenn and me. Um, yet there's also some, you know, nervousness, but it's more excitement, not like, I don't know how to do this. I can't do this. You know, like I, like she just, her entire life has been, I'm doing this. This is happening. You know, it's the words, I don't know how don't often come out of her mouth or at least not to us. Um, she just figures it out. And, and to the point where a few years ago in class, when I was writing a thought paper for one of my classes, it dawned on me that one of the reasons that Milana is my daughter and I get to be her parent is because she is a constant reminder for me of what it means to live from who you truly are, live as the infinite potentiality and creativity that is always in flow, live as you know, epic confidence and enthusiasm and knowing her value and knowing her worth. And I know that we as parents, there, we had a hand in that, but not the same kind of hand that my parents had in raising me. And which is not to say that they did it wrong. You know, it was different and they did the very best that they knew how to do, you know, with what they had at the time and what they knew at the time kind of thing. But I feel like my dad's no longer around, but I feel like when my mom looks at, my, at me now, it's more of a, I don't get it, you know, like, okay, like she seems happy and she's doing something she's really interested in, but I don't quite get it and still has all the concerns of like, you know, will I have enough money, you know, before I die? Um, just stuff that, that has been, you know, on her, the forefront of her mind for a long time. Whereas, you know, I look at Milana in awe and I'm like, I am so proud of her as her mom, but I just, she for me is inspiration every moment of every day to be better at who I am, to be more of who I truly am. And I feel like, you know, we just, we just hit the lottery, you know, the kid lottery when Milana chose us as her parents, because she has been my greatest teacher my entire, you know, since being her parent anyway. Um, and I'm just so grateful for that. And I look forward to the day when she has kids that are, you know, butting up against her, you know, to challenge her down the road where, you know, they're going to be sort of, you know, beyond her kind of thing. And, you know, the way that she is with us now. Um, but yeah, it's just like, they just, they just go about their lives. They just live their lives. They don't, they don't have the same sort of boundaries or, um, boxed expectations. I don't know if that, you know, says it correctly that I feel like I did when I was growing up or even still, and like, you know, kicking and clawing my way out of, um, there, there isn't nearly as much, at least from what I can see unlearning that needs to happen with her because she has just, she has lived a life so far creating a life that she is really enjoying and loving and is is further you know fostering that creativity that she is to just you know propel itself outward and and radiate outwards you know 
onto everyone and everything that she meets kind of thing. And that for me is very, very exciting. And I don't know if my parents felt that kind of thing about me and my life, you know, but that's also, that would be their experience, you know, like they had their experience. They, you know, went through their journeys kind of thing, which were theirs to take and no one else's. So it's, it's, it's a very interesting position to be in, to, you know, be a parent of a kid who's like, oh my God, you're awesome. Um, and then be a child of someone who is like, I don't get it. <laughs> so, honey bunch, are you ready? Where do I start? Um, yeah, I, I think I kind of, I mean, Milana's her own thing. I, I, I know there's amazing kids who, uh, are real go-getters and earth changers and they pick their path you know as they come into this life and they're opening you know new, new frontiers and all that but i think a lot of children are going to be um having a very different diff, different experience from that because they're they're being forced as society kind of shifts into this technology-based um, norm, they're being shifted into this shifted into this kind of um, look. You know, where all the fun is is actually in the metaverse or you know, in a virtual setting. They're being kind of funneled into that kind of because that's where money can be made, right? And that's where influence can be had with the new generation and I, I, you know, just to get a little bit conspiracy theory, like I think there's a little bit of a, um, you know, the, the uh, technology change you were talking about earlier, um, Francis, about the news, uh, the model for, set, for putting news out in media, you know, it's been shifting all the time, you know, since, well, even before <laughs> the written word, but in recent times, you, you, you've gone from technology that is um, like audio, radio kind of thing into visual. And then once we get into computers, then you have this new frontier of Silicon Valley types saying, we're all connected, man. Like it's all hippy dippy. And, you know, look, we, look what we can do. We can talk to someone in Saigon and we can do, you know, we can uh, play something with our video game with our neighbor on the corner or they could be in russia or whatever and we've we've got this thing of like once once the uh you know the dot-com bu bubble thing happened um you have you had like a a realization is like well we got to make money with this stuff so that's when the ad model changed and that's when people started you know didn't realize all this free stuff was actually just using their data and selling that data to whoever i don't know who's getting it and paying for it now but um so all of these um amazing devices there's a there's another side to that of like you know mm -hmm. people's conversations being recorded on on obviously their phones and on their smart appliances and their uh you know those Roomba, you know those little uh, vacuum cleaners that go around your house. Apparently, they were picking up data, and when Google did their amazing, like you know, Street View thing, they were just they were just ripping Wi-Fi data off all the neighborhoods. Like, 
So that's the dark side of it. So what I'm saying is children these days, their norm as they're pulling into adolescence, and I'm, I'm sure there's this kind of cloud of, of, there's a version of what you experience looking at David Suzuki um, stuff on CBC as a kid going like, what, what, I hope the adults are doing something where we've had decades of like, these adults are idiots and they don't know what they're doing and they're making it worse. And my God, and they're going into like a, a very difficult mental state where, you know, the norm now is to be kind of medicated because life is just stressful, you know, as, as a, as a young person. And that's terrible mm -hmm. because they, they have not been given the, the option the tool of going out into nature, you know, and grounding and like very few of them have had that, that sort of choice. They've, they've just been said, they've been told what they need to be, you know, normal is a cell phone and to have an iPad. Right. And it's like, if I was that kid, I would feel probably the same way. Like, yeah, mom, dad, I want an iPad. I, I need a phone. You know, you don't understand. Whereas like, going going out into nature i've only more recently discovered this it's like grounding and being around the you know even the air you know you you start to realize through your breath and things like that your your connection with everything through through your breath and through through that kind of like that cycle right and i just i kind of wonder like what you know what what's going to come in the next few years and then i guess decades um what will these children contribute because they are being fixated right now i think on, on some very particular things whether it's you know political things like gender ideology or you know um race racism stuff or the climate stuff or whatever they're they're told like you must polarize around this issue and there's really my, my saying for it or my explanation for it is um one side fits all like you can only see this from one side if you don't you're a monster you know mm -hmm. and to be told that as a child i just think like whoa i wasn't taught that as a, like i was taught you know not to be rowdy and and whatever in, in school but like i was at least given an opportunity to have, to share an opinion that may be different from the from the the norm you know and i, I don't think that's what's happening these days i don't know what your oh on that would be glenn what you have to say that's i there's that part of me that just goes thank goodness i'm not a child but i know we're all going to come back in some form but i just it, it really frightens me because that disconnect from all that sustains us truly sustains us which is you know the planet like the, the earth the water the air the trees like like the like we are not separate from that we are part of that like we are nature we are nature yep. but we're being tried to you know like you're saying it's like we're being forced into a a way of being that suits corporations to make money and you know it's and the medication absolutely the way <clears throat> you know you just look at i guess as a critical thinker i wouldn't call it conspiracy i'd say critical thinker 
Like you, that's that's where people need to see that. Of course, there's labels for people who see beyond the obvious. And that's the one thing I know I've had the gift of is seeing beyond the obvious. And it sounds like obviously the both of you do too, or we wouldn't be in this uh, beautiful program together. So it's, it's a case that I think that the blinders are being really put on, like, like led to the trough, you know, is what's happening with our society. And my goal is to, you know, just try to keep the uh, possibility that people will remain completely awake and understand, wake up to the fact that we have to uh, respect and revere the environment around us because we have nothing without it. And no, there's a really fabulous when I when on this topic, it's a fabulous little animated film. And it's by the Gaia Institute, and it's called Wake Up Call. And I highly recommend everyone see it. I, I showed it to a high school group, and I think their teacher was like, oh, I didn't know you'd be showing this. <laughs> <laughs> but, you know, it, it, it's, um, but then, you know, with the understanding that if you're going to show something, and it's exactly what you're speaking to, Glenn, um, if you're going to show that, you know, that you talk about that solutions do exist, and, you know, I've been reminded many times that there's, I haven't seen it and I've got to do this, that there's, I don't know if it's A Bug's Life. I think it's the movie A Bug's Life. I haven't seen it. But someone told me there is a great scene in that where the, there's a couple big carpenter ants and then there's the, all the little worker ants and the, the little worker ants are starting to organize and go, things aren't right. Things aren't right. We're being overworked. We're being worked to death. We're you know, we're not being treated right. Um, and, and, and that basically those worker ants represent our population in general. And the few carpenter ants represent, if we want to call it for lack of a better word, the 1%. And, and the 1% ants are basically turned to each other when they start seeing that there's an uprising of consciousness amongst the, the worker ants. And they turn to each other and go, oh my God, if though, if they knew how many of them there are and how few of us there are were doomed and it was like that's yeah. just like that graphic i think people have seen where you've got the school of fish coming together to confront the shark otherwise you've got the shark opening its mouth with one fish but you've got the school of fish now basically yeah. bigger than the shark and I think, be, you know, this this direction, this relentless push like AI is the answer to the future and our life and everything. I yeah. think it's imperative that um, kids are introduced and, uh, you know, and spend some time in nature. However, when you look at what's happening, especially we look here and like especially in Lankford, there's there's kids growing up without a tree outside their window where it used to be a lush beautiful forest and now it's just a bunch of row houses with with just asphalt not a tree in sight and and you know everything is being directed towards keeping those kids it seems from nature rather than getting them into nature so i think personally it would be very empowering and i think it is very empowering for children and youth to be in nature all people it's it's yeah. known. It's the health benefits in nature are known, and I think the more people that know about it, the 
the more there will be that movement. And that's what this is going to take. It's going to take a movement of collective consciousness. I, I, I firmly believe it. Of, of people realizing it doesn't have to be like this. Yeah, I, I think, I think what what it's, it's like there's there's sort of a, an automatic uh, series of statements that happen when we we bring these things up, and typically what happens is, uh, people the both, people agree, that there's this idea of they, you know, they are in control, the, you know, the, the government or, you know, the uh, military industrial complex or whatever is like organizing things so that, you know, so we'll say that there's, there's a story, a narrative that describes a they, right? And that is true as far as the story goes, like you can carry along that and, and you can live your whole life talking about they, you know, or those bastards or whatever it is. But the thing with that is there's always going to be the other side who are going to go, no, they are the problem. You guys are the problem. You know, the, the people who uh, want to sit around and do nothing all day they are the you know it's like so you, you can see that there's always going to be two sides to that story right mm -hmm. but to pull back and go um yeah like w what we've been talking about is the nature aspect and the creativity aspect and people have a really hard time with this this notion that they themselves are so powerful that they are they are actually creating their environment they are creating their, their experience and we are combining together to create um, an image of, you know, of, of nature and life. So we see it as like external from us and we forget that, no, no, we're part of this and we are creating it and we're, do we're doing that through our thoughts and our feelings and our beliefs. And nobody talks about that stuff, right? So, uh, if you introduce those ideas or you um even in as a, as a young child you can you can nurture someone to be creative and like quirky when compared to other children who are not encouraged to be creative you know they're they're on the wackier end of like oh well just like the fewer boundaries and limits but you know if they are able to retain their core knowledge of um you know that i'm I'm a part of all that is, you know, I'm part of God, I'm whatever. Um, that consciousness and energy flows through them and they, they become leaders and they lead by example. And that kind of spreads, I think. And it, and it takes over, it sort of makes that other story of the they, the them and us, it makes it irrelevant, you know? And I think exactly what's happening now, like it's a weird time to be alive. Like what's happening in Russia today you know like this very week where um these bizarre uh governments um governments throughout the world have decided oh there's a crisis going on and uh, and last thing i've talked and we've even talked on the podcast you know her family are ukrainian and there's there is you know at least culturally there's skin in the game here within this family for the ukrainian people so we're not we're not downplaying that I'm just saying 
the stuff that's going on with with the sanctions being placed on Russian individuals and you know these oligarchs but mainly on the Russian people and the the narrative that this is like inevitable we have to do this you know these sanctions are the only way to blah 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 you know uh, and you think I'm thinking what hold on a second um, there's something else going on I don't really trust what that story no matter who's saying it because that's like no there's always another way there's always dialogue peace is always um, is always like better than the experience of war and then peace obviously right so when you have when you have Russia coming out and saying to the West German government and France and most of Europe gets their gas from um, from Russia <clears throat> wheat oil gas and fertilizer for you know like what is the west going to do without that stuff they're going to suffer you know so that's the narrative i don't believe that for, the, for them to say for them to say the russians to say hey guys you know what you've placed sanctions on us so we can't actually buy anything we've been locked out of the international community so our only solution is for you to come to us and buy our goods in rubles or or gold and why wouldn't they because they want to continue you know or or you know what forget you guys i'll just we'll talk to rush we'll talk to india saudi arabia and china you know and brazil or whatever and the western world is being told oh you know we oh these gas prices oh my god putin's a maniac what do you where have you been for the last year this is insane um but this this notion of there's only one story is becoming comical like it's becoming like more people are waking up to the idea of you know that's a that's a phony baloney mm -hmm. but i'm hoping that it goes one or two more levels beyond that where they can go you know i don't even need these guys i don't need this story like yes i need to like make my way in the world and buy food and whatever and that's going up and but maybe there's another way to buy to make food you know maybe i can bake my own bread have a garden trade with my neighbors teach young kids how to do their part in that and they they love learning about gardening and and all that stuff right um and and i just think that it's it's a weird opportunity and you'll also have this thing of um the technology uh you know the narrative about no we must move to electric uh cars and stuff right sure there's a place for that but like the mining of the earth that goes on in creating one battery for an electric car is quite it's kind of repulsive so that part isn't being told i think we need to know a little bit more about like what what are the sh it's cost benefit thing what are the short and long-term gains here mm -hmm. so someone's making money out of electric cars but you know it, it's not necessarily the the only solution i mean i'm sure someone has built a water hydrogen based uh, fuel source thing that it's just being buried in the patent system somewhere. Oh, absolutely. <laughs> we're not being told about it, right? All yeah. the time. You hear about it all the time of these government comes along every couple of years and puts a call out to innovators. I've talked to several of them and then they yeah. buy up the patents of the good green technology and dump it. And yeah. just, you never see it or hear about it. And I, in fact, met some people uh, very wise scientists in uh, Kauai who had figured out a way to 
um, you know, refurbish all the cars we have so that we don't have to keep producing cars. We can use what's there and have them run exactly on a system that is, is highly reliable. I couldn't tell you the science behind it, but they got shut down yeah. by the government uh, because it didn't meet, quote, their safety regulations or some darn thing. But, yeah. you know, I, like, again, I, I totally agree with what you're saying, Glenn. And, and I think really we're at this place where we can see that there are alternatives and that's that's where that possibilitous in me comes out because i really want people to focus on the solutions not the problem and i mean obviously we have to know what the problem is to focus on the solutions but nevertheless uh the the amount of solutions that exist and the ingenuity and uh, of people is incredible like the last webinar i did we focused on uh, housing that heals the future. And one of the things that we talked about with um, people who are doing this is how to retain vast tracts of forests, but still build communities. And it's basically what's old is new again. So that idea of creating a hamlet where the people buy into something that gives them a, you know, a house in this community, into this village, but by clustering everybody closely, and not having that widespread sprawl can save a lot of forest. And then, of course, that forest is sequestering carbon, right? Then you make it a community where people can work and live and play there. You make it off the, you know, there's so many ways to make it off the grid almost, you know, like, or, you know, there's bioswales and solar panels. There's all kinds of these ways to do life differently. And hopefully, all I can say, is that these lessons that we're seeing come before us with this war and with all the BS for lack of, a, am I still there? I saw yep, you're here. Yep. And lack of a lack of you know uh, truth and the hiding of truth. I think people are wising up and 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 seeing that um, maybe instead of getting like we all have to feel that pain and cry a bit maybe and. But we have to get up and and get on with it. And the the thing that gets me is when people just think there's nothing they can do, and there's something we can all do, every single one of us. And it is going to take a movement. And if people just say, "Ah, oh, you know, it's easier to accept this and just, you know, watch the world go to, you know, <laughs> nuclear explosion or something," then uh, you know, such a pity because this is a golden opportunity. And I think we've been presented with this opportunity to to kind of get us out of the old and into the new, but back to the old that worked. And that's where I feel like First Nations wisdom is just, you know, uh, just they, they maintained and stewarded and knew how to live with Earth and in, in partnership with Earth in such a way that we we have so much to learn and all the knowledge is already there we just need to maybe step back yeah okay last back to you wow well i you know as i'm listening to you guys speak i just you know i'm like i agree i don't agree i agree with some of that um and and it's just it's it's so fascinating to me because i i'm taking in everything you guys are talking about <clears throat> And 
endeavoring to see it from a more spirit, not more from a spiritual and quantum perspective that at any given moment, you know, we're all experiencing a completely different reality, even though it may seem like we're in the same reality, even in this conversation, each of us is having a different experience and creating a different experience. Mm -hmm. And, you know, I, I think about when Glenn and I have these conversations where he's saying, you know, I think people are really starting to wake up. They're really, and I'm like, what people, what people are you talking about? Like the, you know, like the people that I, and this is from someone who like, this is my work. This is my area of study is to like, know that this is what's happening. And even though there are individuals that I meet who, you know, let's just use the term waking up, um, there is a large, a larger, you know, collective consciousness or a larger body of people, let's just say the collective, um, that sometimes I wonder really, you know, like who still believes that what is being told on mainstream media is the one and only way of looking at things. I'm not even calling it news anymore because it's not news. Like you were talking about what news was when you started at 16, you know, working in the, in the um, mailroom or whatever it was that you, you know, were doing for the times colonists and how that changed, you know, in a, in a very short amount of time and the learning curve that was involved. And I can't remember which world event or war it was where, you know, news changed from being the delivery of facts to, you know, the delivery of opinion and, you know, being skewed towards a certain narrative or um, uh, view. And that's what it is now. Like we're like it, it, it boggles my mind. And this is a total judgment on my part. And it's going out live on YouTube and it's recorded into this podcast now that, that what comes through legacy media is true, is exactly what's happening. And how can we possibly know at this point what is true and is there only one true way of looking at things is there only one truth because if you look at it from a quantum perspective there's your truth there's your truth there's my truth there's a new truth every single moment and what is true for you may not be true for me and so for me it's this whole notion of infinite possibilities you know i, I, I love your passionate positive possible possibilitist <laughs> um thing because infinite possibilities in uh, you know to to choose from infinite realities to step into or draw from at any given time and to think about you know let's go back to what worked well in the past yeah let's draw from the stuff that you know that did work but not like worked back then to make it be like back then but because it works and it's relevant and it's applicable to where we are right now to create a better life experience for everyone and not in terms of it's the same experience for everyone, but where everyone benefits, where nature is, you know, respected and revered and, and we realize how interconnected we are, you know, not, not that we are just a part of, but like, you know, I think everyone here has said, we are nature. Nature is us. You know, the, the Emerson in um, the essay Nature, like that's what he talks about, about, you know, when you look at the mountain, when you look at the ocean, when you hear the cracking of thunder, you know, instead of being in awe of nature, 
like be in awe of the fact that you are that same power. You are as powerful and majestic and magnificent as any mountain, as any 400-year-old redwood tree, as that cracking thunder and lightning bolt that, you know, like can sear and crack, you know, a tree open at any given moment. That's how powerful and creative we are. So like, let's embrace that. Let's step into it. And instead of using our, our devices and thoughts and beliefs and feelings as shields, let's use them as magic creative wands to create the reality that we, that best showcases the, the, the power and creativity that we are. And that is not a linear thing. It is not something that is ongoing. It is something that is happening brand spanking new every single moment. Every single moment is an opportunity to choose what we're going to focus on, what kind of life experience we're going to create, and how we're going to respond to what is going on around us, not in terms of, you know, us versus them, or, you know, if you're not with us, you're against us, or that, you know, there's, there, there are others, um, but that, everyone is where they're at on their journey. Everyone is at um, a certain level of, of awareness or consciousness expressing at any given moment. You know, three steps forward, two steps back, a spiral, moving forwards and backwards, going outwards in like what at pulsing, you know, like it just like it's constantly shifting and changing. And because it's not a straight line arrow trajectory, there's, it's, it's, I don't know, it's kind of, it takes me back to Honey Bunch when we were talking with Danielle Lebo Peterson a couple of podcasts ago, and she was talking about the consciousness, you know, the vast pool of consciousness and how, you know, liquid being poured in and stirred and creating something new and different, um, and then being poured out and, and, you know, going into something new and different again. It makes me think of, you know, a river as it flows you know, it's directed by the bank, but at the same time, it's carving out the bank as well as it's flowing. So we're all, you know, participating. We're all in the way that we create our lives. We're all responding to the life that we're creating. And we always have the opportunity to listen and, and watch and observe and question what someone else says, what is going on around us, how it is that we're responding, how it is that we're relating, because there are more than two sides to any story. There, there are more than just, you know, options A, B, or C. Um, and there, there are many truths. I believe that there are many truths that can be discovered and leaned into at any given time. So I just, this conversation is awesome. Thank you. I just love it. Yeah thrilled to hear that too so um yeah and, and when i when i think back I, i'm not the expert to speak on this but there have been moments um oh i forget the great convergence or something it was called i believe it was in the 70s where people came together uh, meditators came together in mass in washington dc i can't remember how many thousands there were but the, it was reported and monitored. Crime rate went right yes. down. Wars ended. The Berlin Wall and all that stuff started to crumble. I'm sorry, that cut out again. Things, right. the, the old structures began to crumble that weren't serving people. 
And it just proved the exponential power of the collective. So when people get together in mass to pray or to meditate, huge, amazing things can happen. Yeah, well, that's, and, and that honestly, okay, so there is this quote by Dr. Ernest Holmes, who is the um, founder of religious science and the author of Science of Mind, among other uh, books. One in consciousness with the infinite constitutes a majority. So it's, it's not even that you necessarily have to have, you know, a bunch of people together, but if you get one person, five people, a thousand people, whether they're in the same place or not, vibrating at the highest level of consciousness, mm -hmm. you can only, you know, up level consciousness everywhere of everyone and everything because we're all energy because we're all interconnected. It has to happen. Like it can't, there is no other way that, you know, it can be because we're all part and parcel of that one active expanding creativity that is consciousness all the time. And yeah. And, and, you know, to that, I mean, that is why, that is why I meditate every day. That is why I facilitate a weekly meditation in our home, because even though everything I just said, I believe to be true, I love being in a room with people meditating together. Um, I love working with my prayer partners, um, because even though I pray every single day, when I get together and sit down with my prayer partner, all of whom through Zoom, not in person, because they're all down south, you know, south of the Canada-US border, um, praying together for each other, um, knowing for each other is just so incredibly powerful and uplifting and up-leveling. And it's like the best kind of, you know, supplement or drug or, or, or you know, whatever like hit of oxytocin and adrenaline and 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 endorphins and you know everything all at the same time and just i feel like my body literally feels new because it's just expanded there's more space there's more energy moving and flowing and excitement it's it's amazing so mm, i totally agree 100 percent I don't know if anyone, here's another great example that um, I'd like to share as a film. It's a documentary that proves uh, uh, the power of the collective and it's called The Singing Revolution. And it takes place, I believe in Latvia when the Russians were attempting to invade Latvia. I think it was in the seventies, maybe the eighties. The film's a little bit dated, but the premise of it is that this is true. The, 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 the people in the country were so um, freaked out, as I'm sure everyone in the Ukraine has, we know what they're going through. It's, it's like that complete, um, yeah, panic and, and freak out about the Russians coming to their borders that the Latvians joined hands across the entire country and began singing the same song. And it was like the Russian tanks just didn't cross the line. Mm -hmm. They just didn't come in. And it was like that power, that energy, they just saw, it was a movement. It mm -hmm. was a huge movement. And through song, this particular song, which everybody knew, it was, it was unbelievable. The singing revolution. I'll check yeah. that out. Awesome. Yeah. Thank you. Yeah. yeah. Just, just to clarify, it wouldn't have been the Russians. It would have been the Soviets then. 
Soviets, thank you. I, they, You're absolutely they, right. You're absolutely have, right. Had a habit of sticking, you know, a bunch of people from different nations, you know, just like, here, do this or else, you know. Uh, right, right, you know. right. But I, that was so darn inspiring, that film. It was just amazing, the power of the collective. And and that's, again, when I think about the ants, you know, I go, the power of the collective. And I, you know, maybe, maybe this is opening a can of worms, but I truly believe that even though I'm not somebody who I'm, I basically consider myself uh, spiritual, I don't subscribe to any particular belief, let's put it that way. Although I know that, um, yeah, like I just believe in the power of creation and I believe that my feeling is that Jesus was some amazing dude who really understood all this and was galvanizing people to understand that they held the power. Yeah. And, and, and when you think about so much of the symbolism and everything around that time with the cross and, you know, like you even think about how it relates to, you know, the, the original first nations wisdom, you know, all the four, the four, um, the four direction. directions, everything. And it's quite amazing. And I think people were joining in in that collective consciousness and, and were starting to wake up and hence everything, you know. But but it continues to this day. And the confusion that we hear in the messaging, I think, is to stop us from piecing those dots together mm -hmm. that help us awaken to what, you know, our collective truth is sorry i keep freezing up oh but you our, keep coming back <laughs> but whatever our collective you know our collective truth and I, I love that you're having these prayer circles you know and i think the more people that could tap into what's happening you know at, at cohesive times apparently the exponential power of that is just huge you feel yeah. it in a room. oh yeah yeah yeah, no, the amplification, I, I mean, uh, Lynn McTaggart, you know, the work that she's done over the past 30 years or whatever as a journalist with her Power of Eight groups is, um, it's different from meditation. It activates a different part of the brain. It's, um, it has a lot more to do with cultivating oneness and the uh, benefits, whether you are a receiver or a giver um, in a Power of Eight circle, whether you are in the same room or not, the benefit is the same and and the amplification and the mirroring effect that were uh, that happens as a result of this interconnectivity that is going on as people are immersed in these sometimes only for like half an hour even not like you know hours on end but very focused intention work is so powerful so incredible and and you know affects change for everyone involved, not just the individual that may be being focused or, you know, intended upon. Everyone benefits from that. It's just, it's amazing. Oh, that's wonderful. Will you put that in the chat too? Yeah, for sure. Yeah. No, um, I think it's great because people need to know that these things exist if they don't already. Like it's just one small step in, in a big potential change. Okay. No, the the other book is the the intention experiment. Is is that the first one? Yeah. Well, put that in chat, please. Yeah. Anyone yeah. should be putting it in? Uh, sure. Okay. 
Um, and then Ashley, what we'll do when I, when I do the, um, the blurb, I'll include all of this information in the YouTube blurb, which will then go out onto all of the podcast blurbs too, so that we can have the links and everything in there. So I know we could keep talking here, but I'm looking at the time and being mindful of the time. And so I think maybe for today, we'll, we'll wrap up here, even though there's so much more to discuss, um, because we have a, another small segment to go through, and then um, we'll have Frances let people know where they can uh, find out more about her, get in touch with her and that kind of thing. So Honey Bunch, are you ready with, um, with your questions? Yep. Okay, so Francis, this is what's called the super rapid fire question round. Glenn is going to bombard you for one minute with a bunch of questions. It's just a fun way to get to know you a little bit better. And okay. all we want is off the top of your head, no critical thinking. Okay. <laughs> like all right. And um, and then at the end of it, he's going to tell you what you've won. Oh. <laughs> all right. So, honey bunch, if you are ready, Winter, I'm with you. <laughs> On your mark, get set, go. Okay. How many tattoos do you have? None. Okay. And which do you prefer? The 21st century or the 20th century? 21st. Walking on the beach or in a forest? Oh, tough one. Forest. Asking for help or going it alone? Oh, I'd go it alone. Jigsaw or crossword puzzles? uh crossword one life or reincarnation reincarnation swearing or hitting a pillow swearing <laughs> having a decent salary job or self-employment self-employment typing or handwriting handwriting music or books music sweet or savory sweet tea or coffee Tea. Showers or baths? Baths. Ding, 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 ding. Okay, honey bunch, tell Frances what she's won. Okay. <laughs> that was tough because I I think there's so, uh, like, forests or beaches. Are you kidding me? I know. So Gosh. I get pretty devious sometimes. But you chose. You chose. Way to go. Yes. <laughs> Most people just go both. Both, you know. yeah. Okay, well, there. You see, that wasn't the possibilities in me. I was just playing by what I thought were your strict rules. Isn't that something? Oh, man, I got work to do. See, nobody's perfect, right? I'm just learning. Okay, so I'm going to read two things. One of them is, they're both from the same book, actually. Um, Geary's Guide to the world's greatest aphorists, aphorists by James Geary. It's my favorite kind of collection of aphorisms. And That's things. neat. Um, uh, Eric Hoffer, who I, I was going to read something from his book, since we're getting sort of slightly political, um, Between the Devil and the Dragon, but it's pretty heavy because they talk about collectivism and individualism. But So I'll just pick up one of his um, little short quotes. And um, anyway, this is, uh, he says, nonconformists travel as a rule in bunches. You rarely find a nonconformist who goes it alone. And woe to him inside a nonconformist clique who does not conform with nonconformity. So that's, 
it's like one of those paradoxical, you know, mm -hmm. things. And the next one is just uh, Ralph Waldo Emerson. I love the way he phrases this. He says, the purpose of life seems to be to acquaint a man with himself. The highest revelation is that God is in every man. Mm. So. Lovely. Mm -hmm. Thank you. All right. Well, Francis, now is your time to shine even more. If someone wanted to find out more about you, get in touch with you, where would they go? What would they do? Well, I've got two ways of people reaching me. Okay. Um, they can do it through creativelyunited.org, which I think I put in the chat already, or they can reach me via my website, which is francislitman.com. All right. We will have links to those in the YouTube description, and we'll put up a slide uh, when, when I do, when I edit this. Francis, thank you so much. This has been such an amazing conversation, even more fun and just like more juicy than I expected. And um, I just, we didn't even touch on some of the stuff that you were going to share. We didn't even talk about the art that is behind you. There's just, there was so much to, you know, dig into. And so perhaps we might be able to do it again someday. Well, and... uh, thank you. You made it a lot of fun. I love that <laughs> pop quiz at the end. I, you know, I was thinking I'm at the eye doctor and they make you choose and i hate that mm. and i was like i don't i was like okay i felt like i was at the eye doctor we've got to pick one and <laughs> just against everything i i feel that's not anyways you're right so thank you all right that was fun a lot of fun and it was lovely hearing your insights to all these things as well and i i love what you have to share i think you're doing very important work Oh, thank you. Thank you. Well, we really enjoy it. I am grateful to be doing this with, um, with Glenn and we're so grateful for everyone who comes on the show because it's just, we learn something every single time we're just expanding and being expanded and leaning into, you know, the, the, who do you think you are question again and again and again. And so, yeah, so we're so grateful for your time, for your presence, for your insights and wisdom today, honey bunch. Thank you so much for co-steering the ship as always. And thank you to everyone who tuned in, who listened, whether it was live or on the replay. <clears throat> Thank you for however it is that you're engaging with us. We are so grateful for your time and presence. Stay tuned for another brand spanking new episode of Who Do You Think You Are coming in another week or two. That's it for today. Bye for now. Bye. Bye. Thank you. Thank you. This has been an episode of Who Do You Think You Are? An exploration into how our thoughts, beliefs, and feelings create our reality. My name is Lassia Kahoot, and I have been your host. My co-host has been Glenn Sheridan. We'd like to thank the following for helping make this podcast a reality. Today's special guest, Francis Littman. Music, Vasco Lorenko Copyright, 123RF.com. Background illustration, Sakmasterike Copyright, 123RF.com. For more information on this podcast and our Lassia Kahoot Soul Excavator, please visit www.lassiacohoot.com. If you like what you've heard, please like, subscribe, and let us know by leaving a comment. Thanks for tuning in to Who Do You Think You Are?